What is up, Arizona? Welcome to the Arizona Small Ball Podcast, where we discuss one of the hidden gems in Arizona, high school basketball. Here we cover everything small ball, and as coaches in the Valley, we understand that these guys don't get enough love or recognition. We talk about scores, coaches, teams, and players all at Arizona Small Ball. If you pay attention to anything at all, you know that there is some talk about requiring a shot clock for high school basketball in Arizona. We're going to look at the good, the bad, and the possibly expensive. We're also going to answer some questions that you guys wrote into the show. Big Reyes is here with me as always. Reyes, you need to stop lying about how accurate your bracket is, man. Hey, I know you saw that. So after the national championship, for those listeners, I decided to share my bracket because it was 99.9. I was literally... You got to stop, dude. That's such a lie. How do I post a Photoshop? I don't even know how to do that stuff. 99.7%? No, 99.9, my friend. I was 0.1 off my my 100% bracket. Gosh. So who did you – who were you off on? Do you remember? Does it tell you that specific? Oral Roberts and UCLA. Dang. Shoot, man. Gosh, hey, did you win money for that? No, you don't. I don't think you do. I think – I heard that if you get the the round of 32, I heard if you get all those right, you win a million dollars, I think. Or you win some money for that. But then if you obviously you go like 100% throughout the whole way, like, you know, you get a million dollars for the rest of your life. I'm just telling you, next time, you need to enter your bracket into something where you can win some money. Because I know somebody who won, like, $500, and it was because it was, like, 75% right or something like that. That's crazy. Yeah, I didn't even, I didn't, I didn't think I even, like, signed up for it. Cause I just joined in with, like, a family friend. Like, he just kind of wanted me to be in his group. So, I just made a bracket. So, I only made one bracket. So, not bad for one And bracket. you only made one? I only made one bracket, Coach. I swear. Oh, my gosh, man. Well, shoot, you should go out and buy some lottery tickets because you're being pretty lucky I right know. now. I know. I get some scratchers. While watching the tournament, I couldn't help but think about how a shot clock would change the high school game of basketball in Arizona. I'm watching the game. I'm thinking about how it would impact us. So, so let's talk shot okay. clock really quick. For, for, some, for some of our listeners, maybe you're, you're a high school player and you don't watch college as much. I just wanted to find the rule of the shot clock for you. Uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about positives and negatives, right? The shot clock puts in place a defined number of seconds, 35, that the offense may possess the ball once it is in their control or caught on an inbounds pass. The clock is reset when the ball touches the rim or goes into the basket and when possession of the ball switches to the other team, such as on a rebound, steal, or a violation. A shot that leaves the shooter's hand prior to the clock buzzer counts if it's made. The main reason for the shot clock is simply just to prevent teams from stalling, uh, holding the ball for long periods of time to try to slow the pace of play and reduce the number of possessions. Uh, th- thinking back a couple years, do you remember a couple years ago we played that prep school that stalled Coach, really, it stalled really for bad? like four to five minutes. It was literally insane. I, I was just like, what's going on here? They, like, we were up. Wasn't it about like we, seven yeah, we were or up eight? Like seven or eight, Coach, and they were the ones stalling. And it's like – I just didn't understand his tactic. I didn't. I I don't know what was going on. Yeah, it was bizarre. And, you know, I even just recently saw a video of a team in a different state that stalled. And I think they stalled for the whole second quarter or so. Or maybe it was the first quarter. Maybe I'll put that link in the description just so you could see it. Because if you've never seen something like that, it's pretty odd. I think that same prep school that we played, I had a game actually earlier that year, too. I think it was against Borgay Catholic, 
the final score was like 15 to I 10. I saw that too. I just saw that earlier this year. I was like, what is going on? Like, that makes no sense. What were they doing? Were the kids all sitting on the court, like, sharing stories and not playing basketball? Like, I don't know what they were doing. <laughs> and, and, I mean, literally, that is what they were doing. They were just standing on the court. Let, let's talk a little about this. On your end, because, you know, stalling for a lot of people – Right off the bat, oh, that's a negative. Some people say, hey, that's a positive. That's a strategy. On your end, let's talk shot clock. What are some positives? That so you with me, I feel like the fans will actually be a little bit more geared and focused towards the fast-paced game, you know? Just so like so like I said, because mm. it prevents stalling. That's one thing. That's like one of the positives I feel like that it comes from. Another thing I also thought of was that the defense will be rewarded by getting stops within that 30, 35-second span, you know? They can force turnovers. They can force a shot clock violation, which I think would be great. You know, it's just overall rewarding the defense for their efforts, you know. Um, And one thing I thought was really positive was letting coaches really be able to dive into their playbook and show, like, their game management, their situational management. Like, what plays do they have down the stretch when the game's coming close, when it's a minute left and you have 35 seconds on the clock, you know. Like, what are you going to do to put your team up? And then last but not least, sure. I just think it's overall great just because I feel like it gets players ready for that next – for that jump to the next level, like, as in, like, college. Yeah, I honestly love the rewarding, like, what you said of good defense at the end of a game. You know, let, let's just all be real with ourselves. This is not really going to affect the game until the last minutes of a really yeah. close game, right? Uh, I, I was watching – I went back this week and watched the Page and Snowflake championship game. And I picked a quarter. I don't remember which one it was. I think it was the first quarter. And I timed the possessions of the game just because we were thinking shot clock. And I was curious. These are the top of our 3A, right? And I'm curious as, as to how long they're actually possessing the ball. In that quarter, the average time of possession was 15 seconds. Yeah, possessions. exactly. Yeah, it makes sense. Right. So, I mean, you know, it's Arizona small ball. We all play pretty fast. Part of that is we have to run so we can compete with teams that have a lot more size than us. So it's not going to really affect us throughout the course of the game all that much. But, man, how fun to be down by two with one minute left and tell your kids to play some solid defense, and then you get the ball back with a chance to score. Exactly. You don't have to foul, right? That's like, so that's awesome. I love, I love that aspect as a coach. I feel like we always view the clock as our enemy, at least most times. That's a very familiar thought. This actually gives it some potential that the clock can be your friend. You know, Uh, you can get a stop and get the ball back after 30 seconds. Now, like what you said, that puts a lot more pressure on coaches. Uh, We we had a lot of coaches right into the show this week and talk about we will see who can really coach with the shot clock. So, I mean, it's pretty fun to think about having to execute down the stretch uh, also, I remember in college how much momentum it was when you got a shot clock violation. I mean, it was awesome. I, I think I would compare it to a charge. When somebody takes a charge, everybody's all hyped, like, yeah, you know, and everybody gets really into it. That's kind of how it is with a shot clock violation. So, I mean, th- there's really, really good things about it. I like the positives. Let's think negatives, though, right? Because we know that there's definitely some negatives to this. Uh, what do you got? What are some negatives that so you see what, with the So when shot I first clock? think of, like, the shot clock and I had to really, like, think about it, I was like, and there's so many positives. It's like, it's a must. But then you think about the hassle for schools with not a lot of funds to be able to, you know, purchase mm-hmm. a shot clock for their school. So, like, the funding overall could be kind of a hassle. But, like, if it gets passed, it's, it's going to have to get done. Especially for, like, those real smaller schools 
that like the basketball program's funding is not as big, you know? Right. We don't know what that's like because our funding is, you know, <laughs> exactly. And then, so that's what I first, that's the first thing I was like, the hassle for the funding. And then after that was having a shot clock operator, you know, because you have to find someone that's going to be the shot clock operator for the freshman all the way to the varsity games. So that's going to be a hassle. Mm-hmm. It's probably an extra paid job unless they volunteer, but like more than likely, you know, like doing the shot clock is going to be probably, probably be a tough task. Yeah. And I feel like also with that, and I'm sure a lot of coaches would agree as well, sometimes I feel like refing groups are already mm-hmm. kind of at capacity. Yeah. Trying to figure out what to do with what's no, I going hear you. On and then the like one thing that I thought was, I guess, like a bad thing. It could be a bad thing for some people, but I think it's a good thing. Is that coaches will could be exposed? You know, like if you don't have a like a lot of plays mm. down the stretch to help your team be in the best position at the end of the game, it's gonna it's gonna be a bad look for you. And so, like, I feel like you know some coaches could be exposed, so that can be bad on their end. But then it could also be a positive because then them and let them work on how to be better coaches, you know? And then last but not, I think sure. overall, I think a lot of yeah. people are going to think that because we have a shot clock for the teams that are not have, like, ever played with one, like, either whether it's, like, a tournament or something like that, like, just never experienced a shot clock. I feel like for the beginning, it might be a lot of rush shots and turnovers. So that could be, that could be, like, a negative, yeah. but, you know, like, that takes time, you know? Yeah, and I mean, like you said, though, it's Arizona small ball. We already put up rush shots well, and turn exactly, exactly. You know, yeah. And you know, one of our listeners wrote into the show, and they said this: the shot clock takes away the opportunity for less talented teams to compete, which is kind of true. You know, uh, one of my best friends, he is a former Arizona small ball basketball coach. He goes to our school. He coached for like twenty plus years. The guy's a legend. Keg. I think he has the record in Arizona for the fastest ejection in a high school basketball game. He got ejected, like, I think it was 20 seconds after the tip because he said something to the ref, which is hilarious. Um, He, at times, would stall so he could compete with more talented teams. He always tells this classic story about Seton Catholic. Uh, Back then, they were number one in their region. Coach B, they were last. They played them the first time, and Coach B ended up losing to Seton Catholic by 45, yeah. right? Like, they just got just drilled, yeah. trounced. The second time around, he came out with a different strategy, and he decides to pull the ball out and stall against them, like, from the tip, right? It's not like, okay, the last three minutes. From the entire game, he pulls – he goes four corners, and he tries to do that. And he's telling it how people are standing up in the stands, yelling and going crazy at him. Uh, he always says that this person stood up and said, you two are the biggest travesties to coaches <laughs> ever. Okay, the second time, though, guess how much? Now, Coach B still lost. Guess how much they lost by? Five, maybe time. ten? Oh, they did lose by five. Ooh. Shoot, that's pretty good. It's a whole different story. So as much as people don't like it, stalling is a legitimate and fair way, according to the rule book, to approach a game. And, you know, if we're being honest, almost every single team does a form of stalling throughout the game. Just most of it is at the very end for the last minute and a half or maybe two minutes. You know, Bobby Knight did the same thing in Indiana when they played against Iowa and he stalled. A lot of people thought this was the reason why college basketball, at least one of the driving factors, they got a shot clock. A coach commented in and said that stalling or, or the, this is about stalling. The game before the shot clock was good, hard play for three quarters and then stalling the remainder of the game with Mm -hmm. fouling and free throws at the end. Now, again, we're just talking about player effects here. 
and, and Reyes, you talked about the cost, right? And and when you say that, it makes me think of our school because we are a small yeah. rural school in Arizona. Athletic directors, I know this is going to make you feel sick, but the cost of implementing a shot clock could be anywhere between twenty five hundred exactly. to five thousand dollars. That's a lot of money, and that all obviously depends on what kind of shot clock you get, where you choose to mount it, what type of uh, setup you're going to have because some people don't even connect it to the backboard also who's going to run it right you have to pay for that extra person on the group and i think this is why i was reading an article about this the percentages are off 80 percent of coaches are in favor of the shot clock only like 50 percent of athletic directors are in favor and i'm sure so much of that is because of the cost uh so i mean all in all that's the good the bad and i guess at the very end the expensive uh, Reyes, overall, what are your thoughts on the shot clock? Yeah, so I am, like, to totally pro shot clock, Coach. Like, I want it to happen so bad. Like, I hope it does come. I hope they're able to vote on it in April so that we can get rolling probably hopefully this season or next season. You know, I just think it would be such a great idea. It would be such a good thing for Arizona in general, for Arizona basketball. Just because, like, the various reasons we mentioned, you know, like, I just don't like when teams stall for four to five minutes and then just end up missing the shot or turning it over. Like, what was the point of that? You know, you just killed 14, four to five minutes off the, the quarter, you know? Yeah, it's, it's not, it's not fun, fun to watch. It's to not watch. pleasing to watch. I just feel like incorporating a shot clock in high school will help coaches be better coaches and will really also develop, uh, be beneficial to the players on their development. You know, like I said, we're trying to get these players ready to be, compete at the next level. The next level, like, they have to be – they have to factor in that they have to play with a shot clock, you know? And those who oppose sure. might be saying, yeah. well, adding a shot clock is only going to cause rushed or ill-advised shots and a lot of turnovers. But that's why we need a shot clock so <laughs> that coaches can really dive into their coaching toolkit and get those players ready so they, they don't take those ill-advised shots. You know, like they'll be more prepared and better at in line for success. So I'm pro shot clock. Yeah. And, you know, I'm right there with you. I'm pro shot clock. I, I think the such a bummer. I wish we thought differently on this. Uh, you know, I, basketball is a trickle-down sport, right? So so what I mean by that is that whatever happens in the NBA starts to make its way down to college and so on and so forth. You know, the shot clock has been really great for colleges. And, and while it's going to have its negatives for sure, I think it's going to come to high school eventually and we're going to be fine. You know, bottom line is I'm excited to see coaches have to coach a lot better in end-of-game situations. They're going to vote on it. I think they said it was April 22nd in the next two weeks or so. Um, so we will keep you guys posted on that because we're really excited about it. So let's move on from the shot clock talk. We're going to answer some questions from our listeners in overtime. But before we get into it, check this out. This is both O'Neal the rebound. Kevin Alley brings it up. Throws it across. Miller for three. Oh, he backed it in. He backed it in. And the game is tied. We're going to overtime. Welcome to overtime. This segment is really provided by our favorite people, our coaches and players communities online. We asked you guys to write into the show and you guys gave us some awesome questions. We are so excited about this part of the show. Here's how it works. Players and coaches, you wrote in some tough questions for us to answer, and we're going to do our best to answer those questions, and hopefully in the process, we're all going to become better coaches and players. We're going to hop on the hot seat for a few minutes. Let's get into it. Our first question comes from a coach. He said this, your team has small size, and you're playing a team with pretty good size. They have one dominant post player with pretty good size still all around the perimeter. 
what would be the best strategy defensively to hold that post and deal with the size difference? That's a great question, Reyes. We don't have a lot of experience. Gosh, being bro, we are huh? so undersized. I mean, luckily, in the past years, <laughs> but luckily know. this year we are able to get some size. You know, I know. Up until this past year, our tallest kid was maybe six one, and he was our like big stud center. And we're like, oh my god! Hey, but so six tiny. one, and he was getting like fifteen um, rebounds. I I know he was tough. <laughs> um, shout out to CJ. Uh, one of the things that we have because we have a lot of experience playing against being undersized, you know, playing against some size. One of the things that we have found most effective is taking teams out of what they want to do, right? So so teams with the dominant post player, they love to sit in the half court and punch the ball inside. If you can find a way to speed up the game in the full court, it makes it much more difficult for that big to be a factor in the game. Now, with you saying, uh, writing in and asking this, they have pretty good size around the perimeter. It's kind of difficult to use a zone full court press when their guards are bigger than you because they can just see right over you. But what we found is a very aggressive full court man is very effective to limiting the usage of a big and speeding up that game. Uh, You're just putting constant pressure all the time. Now, we're we're not done. We know this. When the ball finally gets into the half court, we know it eventually will. Uh, What do you do, right? One of the best things to do, find ways to change things up. Right, you, it's it's very difficult to go a whole game with just one strategy. Uh, maybe you go three minutes where you guys switch everything, and then you front the post and switching aggressively, and then you front the post with weak side help, and and you're you're just getting after it with that for like three minutes, and then maybe you come out the next quarter and you play behind the big, you push him out, and then you double the post the second he puts the ball on the floor. Right, you dig at him. The problem with only doing one thing the whole game is that teams start to adjust and pick you apart within like the third quarter right um and it's the question is do you have a group that can switch things up on defense because it's kind of tough to do that and and to do it exactly it's really hard to do that kind of stuff but i think one of the biggest things is keeping that big guessing and keeping that coach guessing that the second they figure out oh they're switching everything and they're fronting let's just skip past well, we're not doing that anymore. Now we're pushing them out and doubling, so that guy's going to be covered, right? I think that's one of the biggest things to help make a game more difficult for a big. Changing it up on defense, being aggressive, and honestly just playing in the full court. If you can put, if you got a small squad, man, we've got a tiny squad. We play full court one-on-one every single day in practice to try to help our kids get better at guarding in the full court and putting some pressure on. So that way, bigs are having a harder time getting involved in the game that's a great question thanks for writing in here's our next question what do you tell your players when it is obvious that there's some serious home cooking going on by the refs i've actually I've, never no, heard that i've never heard that and that's funny that's i funny. love it's it so though funny. i'm gonna start using it. <laughs> we've got some home cooking going on boys um let me reread it. I'm sorry. I got distracted. No, this is great. I'm going to start using it. What do you tell your players when it's obvious that there's some serious home cooking going on by the refs? Example, you're making a run and momentum is swinging your way. All of a sudden, a foul is called away from the ball. So one of my most frustrating things, it's so frustrating when you feel like a ref is really impacting the game. That's right. Uh, I know I'm not alone in saying that that is a pet peeve of mine. I always feel, and this is just me, and I feel like it's accurate, if the coaching staff starts to express a ton of frustration with the refs, the players are really quick to follow. 
uh, they just all kind of start complaining. Now, none of us are perfect with this, myself included. I don't know what was up with me this year. Our our big guy, our, our, our head coach, he really was, like, making a point to calm himself down and to not get mad at the refs. And I'm usually pretty calm. And I feel like all of his anger and rage just somehow transferred to me through osmosis. And I just got super raging yeah. this year. I don't even know. I was, like, kicking chairs and, like, I don't, I don't know, know what was wrong with me. I don't even know where it came from. It's hard to kind of keep your cool when you feel like the refs are, are really blowing the game. But it's just important to remind your kids to only focus on what exactly. they can control, right? I, I think another good way to simulate this in practice is to make bad calls when kids are scrimmaging. We, we rarely ever call fouls in practice. I think one of the, the funniest things is when we have a new kid come up to varsity and he drives into the lane and he gets clobbered and he looks at us and he's like, coach, that's a foul. And we have to kind of teach him, hey, we don't call fouls in practice. You know, you've got to just play through it because in the game, there's a good chance exactly. you're not going to get those calls. We usually do probably about once a year is we have our starting five scrimmage against the scout team in practice. And then we tell them that whoever I, oh, wins starts. I heard all about that. I remember I did, I, you <laughs> took that from me when I did that to for a tournament. That was hilarious. Oh, man. Yeah. And, you know, I know you remember when you were a player. And we said that, and you looked at me, and you were like, come on now. We're, that's not going to happen. You're not going to actually start them if they beat us. And I was like, oh, yeah. Now, sadly, you guys won. I was hoping you guys would lose so you could sit on the bench. But even that type of a scenario, right, you, you take that, you tell them whoever wins starts. These are great opportunities to make bad calls, even to work on just pressure situation plays, because you know – Everybody cares about starting, right? They actually care for once. It makes yeah. it a whole lot more meaningful. So, yeah, that's, you know, it, it's tough with the refs, but I think just keeping your own composure, and I'm speaking to myself on this, is important. And just working on it in practice, I think, is I huge. Agree. So for the next question that we were able to get from a coach, they asked us, when is enough enough? And now we've been on both sides where we've, like, obviously in earlier years of our coaching, like, where we've just been on the bad end coach and we're just down, you know, 30, 40 points sometimes against a really good team. But then as of recent years, like we've been on that opposite end and we've been the ones beating teams by 30, you know? So when I, usually for me, enough is enough when it's probably the fourth quarter and you're up 25 to 30. I just feel like that's the, that's probably, it's probably around the time where it's like, okay, like, time to get our heel off their neck and just let them breathe a little bit, you know? It's, it's just it's sure. just tough, you know, because, like, you want to win and you want to impose your will, but then you got, like you say, like basketball, I mean, like, at the end of the day, like, it's just a game and you want to build relationships and you want to be respectful towards your opponent, you know? There comes a certain point where you have to think about, okay, what exactly. are we trying to accomplish here? Like, exactly. Like, at the end of the day, like, regardless of how much we win by, it's it's just a win in our win column, you know? That's all it is at the end of the day. That's the way I look at it. You know, it's a win's a win. You know, you get a win. All right, you move on to the next game. I mean, you can read the opponent's body language, the kid's face on the court, the coach, the head coach's body language, you know. Like, you just know when, like, they're done physically and mentally just beat. You know, you can just see that. And so when we sniff blood, I think it's a good, I think it's a good idea to, you know, make sure you put that game out of reach. But once that has been reached, then it's like, okay, sure. like, we're able to take our foot off their necks. 
Yeah, and you know, there we all as coaches understand that there's strategies like you know, no, no dribbles transition, and we're just passing and no scoring. threes, no transition. We we tried to do that a few years ago. We were as coaches talking at halftime. Okay, let's just tell them no dribbles. But <laughs> we were in dribble drive offense. We're like, well, we yeah. can't do that. Hey, I just looked this up on Google. What do you think is the biggest high school basketball blowout? I just- I swear I told you one that re- it was like 120 to like 12 or something, like something insane like that. I could have sworn. So I'm looking at one right now, and it's funny. It's got like the Jordan crying picture, <laughs> that, that meme on there. Uh, I love that one. Uh, the score was 102 See, that's to 0. That's excessive. That's, that's rough, man. I think at halftime or after the first quarter, it was 59 yeah. to 0. What do you even tell your team at halftime, right? If you're losing by that much. <laughs> It's just rough. You put you put kids in a rough. Yeah, position, so that's why you gotta you know? make sure you try not to put your team in that position. You you just gotta find ways to at least get a basket. Jesus, zero. <laughs> yeah. Go to halftime. You gotta say, hey, y'all, they got lucky. They can't shoot like that. Yeah, all game. exactly. That. And so that's interesting because, like, following up with that next question, we actually had another coach. Like, what my number to call off the dogs? Now we'll both share our numbers. For for me. I personally, if it's 25 to 30 points with probably about, like I said, be starting with the fourth, you know, that's kind of like, okay, like we'll, we'll let the, we'll let our starters play for the first like two minutes, you know, but after that, it's kind of like, all right, let's get the bench players in. So like probably 30 points is probably a good like number for me. For me sick when I, I, I see and hear stuff, like, I laughed about the 102 to zero, but oh my gosh, man, if that happened to our kid, we played a team a few years ago that their whole goal was to score 100 on us. And I went into the locker room and screamed at my kids. We were losing by, like, I don't know, it was like 50 at halftime. And I remember just yelling at my kids, and I was like, I'm not mad at you guys. I'm just mad because I know they're going to try to reach 100. We cannot let them reach 100, yeah. right? Like, that, if, that. you know how we have to make those goals for ourselves. That was my goal. And I think they made it to, like, 98. So we went into the locker room and celebrated like it was a championship. Yeah, my number is probably, you know, I love full court pressing. I could always find an excuse to full court press. I think once it gets above 20, like 20 plus, the lead, that's when I start to call off the press. And then once it gets to 30, to me, that's where I start to take the foot off the gas pedal a little bit and start thinking about who else can I get in the game? What else can I work on? To me, it's about 30 right around there where you can start working Definitely, on some other things and really competing. Another coach actually wrote in and was like, how do you handle a technical foul for misconduct? And that's obviously geared towards a player drawing a foul, getting a technical foul, probably doing something a little bit sloppy, you know, getting a te- like for just drawing a technical foul for something so stupid, probably in an in-game close situation. For me personally, like that's the question you probably want to ask, like do you sit that kid out? Because he's the reason why you're letting the opponent get two free points and the possession back. It's kind of, and especially depending on the player, you know, it's all about mm. player personnel and stuff like that. I get that, and you want to make your point. Me personally, I mean, I'm all about character and stuff like that. So <laughs> I feel like whenever somebody starts with that, it's well, that's like, what I'm I was not... about to say. Like, just like, just if like if I have to be like a man <laughs> of my word and what like you know we preach to our kids, like. If you mess up, like, you messed up, like, we can't just let that slide. So you have to make an example. And whether you sure. just set them out for, like, a couple minutes or whatever, like, you know, just for a little bit, you just got to let them know, like, hey, like, 
you can't do that. And I, I know I, I guess some coaches are like, well, you're costing the game. I get that. It's going to be like a movie scene, you know, where you, you probably take your best player out. But, like, that's just what you have to sure. do. Like, if you want to have a real culture, like, you have to enforce that. What you Enforce your rules that you've installed to build that culture, you know. So that's, that's just the way I would handle that technical foul mis- or from, or misconduct. Yeah, and I think as coaches, too, it's hard for us to, you know, we, we're, we get so focused on this game. And it's hard for us to think big picture, but us taking that kid out of the game, obviously his head's not in the right spot. And there's some case by case. I mean, if it wasn't yeah, his different. fault and I saw it all, you know, maybe I'd take him out for 30 seconds or so and then, you know, put him back in the game yeah. just to let the situation die off. But if he was the instigator, you know, I'm definitely sitting that kid down. It's easy for us to just focus like we don't want to lose this game, but we have to think about the long-term effects of that kid learning that he got taken out for having that exactly. attitude. Exactly. Like, at the end of the day, like, we're coaches. Like, we're coaches for basketball, but we're also, like, that mentor for their life. Like, the relationship I have with my with the, our head coach, like, he's been, like, that mentor for me. And so, like, that's what I want to be. Like, he's right. been there for me and stuff like that. So, that's what I want to do for these kids. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just want to let them know, like, hey, like, yeah, I'm your basketball coach, but I'm also here to help you in life, to help you with your relationships, help you with your family. Whatever you need, like, I want to be there. I'm not more – I'm not just a basketball coach, you know? That's probably the way I would handle it. I'm glad that that's what you said too. I'm glad we're unagreeable for that. You know what I'm saying? Because like it is case by case. Now this is this is a question that I love that we got. So we got wrote it. If you are down two, do you draw up a play for the win? Which is are you are you drawing a play for the three, or are you gonna draw up a play for a two to tie the game? Now I wish they would have given us a little bit more context, like how much time is left on the clock. I'm assuming just by drawing a play for the win, I'm assuming it's probably within like the five second range, you know, like five, yeah, yeah five, five to ten, ten seconds. seconds. In my and in situation, we're probably down, so we're down two, ooh, ten seconds. Like that's the thing. If you drop a play for a layup, yeah, you tie the game, but you are also giving that team an extra possession to possibly win the game. So that's the thing. Do you settle and mm. hope, pray that like you tie it up and then you get a stop, or that the kid misses it and then you go to overtime or do you just draw play for the win me personally 10 seconds is a lot of time it's a lot of it's time a, it's and an like eternity just, it, I mean, it all depends, it depends on your personnel and like how many options you got if you just have one kid they're kind of kind of zeroing on that kid so it's gonna be kind of hard for you to drop that play for the three but if you have multiple kids that can make different plays like we have like down the stretch this year coach like we've had like two kids that hit you know just clutch three after clutch three you know like, I'm confident in our team sure. that we dropped the right play for them to, you know, kill the clock a little bit and then probably within, like, that, like, six to five-second range really go into our play and probably go for the three, if I'm being completely honest. Like, I want to go to overtime because that's not, that's probably the right thing to do. But selfishly, I just want to see if our kids can do it, you know, because, like, if they can do that, that just adds a little to their game and to their confidence. So I would say I'm going to drop a play for the three for the win. Yeah, and I mean, I actually had a dream about this at the very beginning of the basketball season. I feel like every beginning of basketball season, I have a dream about something like that. And uh, I was the head coach, and, you know, we had, like, uh, it was the end-of-game situation, and the kids were looking at me, and I made a comment about, all right, guys, here's what we're doing. I drew up the play, and they said, Coach, we're not going to go for a two. And I looked at him and I was like, we'll go for it all, baby. And then we went to shoot it and you missed the shot. It sucks. But that's kind of a fun 
it's fun to think about. Hey, yeah, let's go for it all. I believe in you guys. I know we can do this. I believe in our squad. We're going to execute, and such and such a player is going to make this shot. Let's just do it, man. So, I mean, that kind of confidence in your kids is great. Uh, coaches, I know we all have kind of our money play that we would probably go to, but even that, it all depends on what you've run throughout that game, who's playing well for you. And, yeah, I, I kind of – I'm going to go opposite from you. I'd go for the two just because of that dream that I yeah. have when I missed the three. If I can't even do it in my dreams, I probably can't do it in real life. I love but, that. But, yeah, that's a great question. So we actually even had some players right into the show and wanted to say a big thank you to you guys. And speaking of players, I wanted to take a second and give a huge shout-out and congratulations to Santan Charter and specifically to Tajay Price for committing to Phoenix College. Lots of hard work, and it pays off for you, man. You're going to kill it over there. Congratulations. We want to highlight that scholarship and that commitment as we talk about some players. Uh, this player wrote in. Here's what he said. I would like to try and get more playing time for my junior year. How can I help myself step into a bigger role next season? Really appreciate you writing into the show, man. Let me give you, let me tell you this. Do not do what my wife's advice was to me in college. My wife's advice, I was basically part of the bench in college and a, like the glorified water boy. And my wife was like, Jeff, why don't you just ask him if you can play more? <laughs> I was like, that's not how my wife doesn't know a, a yeah. lot about sports and kind of how things work. Uh, so, so don't do that. One of the biggest things that you can do to help get on the good side of coaches is to do what no one else wants to do in practice, right? Uh, you have to view practice as, as cliche and as lame as this sounds. You have to view practice as your game every night. You have to view it like that. Do what no one else wants to do. Play defense, take charges, dive on the floor, rebound, box out, uh, closeouts. Most players, when they're not getting enough playing time, they tend to think about their offensive output, and, and that's fine, and that's understandable. It's important. you got to start with the box outs, with the closeouts. And when you start to focus on those little things and view every practice, because literally, if we're being honest, that practice every night is your game. When you start to focus on those aspects – the offense starts to click along because you're not thinking about it so much. It also doesn't hurt to show up to practice early. I totally agree because like, we've actually had a couple of kids like that, like, hey, like, what can I do to be more of a role next year? You know what I'm saying? And, like, we tell our kids, like, the same thing. Like, if you really want a shot on playing for, like, if you really want, like, a significant role, yeah, you got to put the time in when it's season, but what are you doing during the off season? you know? Like, what, like, what, like, what sure. are you doing to get better? Like, sure. what are you going to do to make your – better what are you going to do to make yourself better and are you making are you going to be the one making winning plays because that's all that matters for us like what like what impact are you going to bring to absolutely the team, you know whether absolutely. Like, say like offensively you're not as talented but like defensively you just get after it you know then it's like okay we'll put you on the best player you know and you'll create turnovers mm. and make offense happen for the rest of our guys you know, every kid wants to be the star but like that like we can't have five, i mean you can have five stars but each of them play a significant role in like their separate role you know what i'm saying um, yeah, I, I agree. I like sure. what you said right there, Coach. Okay, here's our last one from a player he wrote into the show. He said this, enjoying the show. I'm a bench player and I'm happy with my role on my team. Basketball is not my first sport. Some pretty funny stuff happens on the bench. Do you ever see anything funny from your bench players? I appreciate you writing into the show, man, and appreciate you being happy with your role or at least accepting your role. I'm sure you're working hard in practice and two-sport athlete. 
I have not seen a whole lot of funny bench stuff as a coach. I saw a lot as a player. When I was in high school, uh, there was a kid on our team who just never played. And I remember one time showing up to the game. And after the break in the huddle, our coach, or it was actually during the huddle, our coach asked this kid if he could run the camera for us. And he was like, well, coach, I need to play. And he's like, well, just run the camera, right? And we all knew, okay, well, he's definitely not going to play. I think uh, one point <laughs> he was eating hot Cheetos on the bench, which was pretty shocking. I think he even had a two liter of Dr. Pepper on the bench one time. Uh, one time the coach tried to put him into the game with like the last three seconds of like the second quarter. And he's like, hey, go, go, go in. And he's like, I can look to the coach and he laughed. He's like, no way, man. I'm not going in. That's embarrassing, man. I was like, oh, my gosh. Uh, so that was high school. In college, uh, uh, we were playing at some colleges in a away game. And, again, I was buried at the end of the bench. And our coach, during a, a media timeout, needed some athletic mm -hmm. tape to help tape up one of our players. And he looked to one of us at the end of the bench, and he was like, hey, get me the tape. And, you know, timeout's pretty short, so we're all kind of stressing. And one of my buddies goes to get some tape. And, of course, he's talking about athletic tape. And um, it's a short timeout, so this guy's stressing out. He comes back to the coach with a full-on, like, tape gun oh, that oh, you hilarious. use to tape up, like, boxes. And I was like, I don't even know where he found that. And our coach <laughs> looked at him with so much disgust. <laughs> we were just dying after the timeout. We're like, bro, That's you're hilarious. never going to get to play. Thank you guys so much for writing into the show. And I want to give a special shout-out to all the coaches and players that submitted your input and made overtime possible. You guys sent in some great questions. If we didn't use your question this time, we're definitely going to use it next time. If you guys want to be a part of the action, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram and on Twitter at smallballpodaz. Hop on Apple Podcasts and write us a review. Don't forget to hit that like and subscribe button so you never miss an episode. We appreciate all of you guys tuning in and supporting Arizona Small Ball. Catch you guys next week.